The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. <laughs> Hello, everybody. It is the Pick 6 Podcast. Will Brinson is not here. Checks notes. He is playing golf on Monday morning. So it is me, Ryan Wilson, joined by the other second most handsomest person in the Pick 6 Podcast crew. Will, uh, <laughs> I always call you Will Brinson. John Breach. Hey, John. Thanks for joining me eight hours after we last spoke. How's it going this early Monday morning? I don't take Monday mornings off to go golf, so I am not Will Brinson. Um, although I do love Brinson's master plan of turning us against each other by putting us on a podcast to talk about the Bengals and Steelers. That's, that's a classic Brinson move. That is, that is right out of the, the Brinson playbook, divide and conquer. I think he invented that. He'll be back with us, uh, later Monday night after the Monday night football game with, uh, the fourth wheel, Sean Wagner McGuff to talk about the, the Steelers Bengals, as you alluded to. We are talking about the Steelers and Bengals because I'm a Steelers homer. You are a Bengals homer. Your dad was one of the first players that I remember seeing on television back in the 80s when they only seemed to show Cowboys and Bengals games. The Bengals were really good in the early 80s. Uh, your dad had the mustache. Ken Anderson had the mustache. Neither of those guys have the mustache now. I think you should bring it back, but uh, we can talk about that later. So Jared Dubin, who's usually on Monday as well to do the, the preview with Brinson, he'll be back on Thursday to talk Ram Seahawks. And a little later after the break, John, I'm going to kick you out of here so I can talk to Jason Lock on four about truly important stuff. But for now, Bengals at Steelers under the bright lights at Heinz Field on Monday night. The spread is a hugely disappointing three and a half points. That is such a slap in the face of the Steelers and what they have accomplished, which is literally nothing this season. Over under 45. All right, let's go. How's this going to start? Why don't you give me your lowdown of what you're expecting for a Bengals team that is also in three. I'm not sure which team is worse. This is going to be a, a doo-doo fest. Go. Wilson, I disagree. I don't think it's going to be a doo-doo fest. This is the most excited I've ever been for two teams, to watch two teams that are both winless three weeks in the season. Look, they are 0-3. I get that. But you know what, Ryan? The winner of this game is going to be one game out of first place in the AFC North. I mean, just think about it. You're the Steelers. You're the Bengals. You've had the biggest trash start of the season. You're both 0-3. And by Tuesday morning, you could literally be sitting in second place, one game out with hopes of doing stuff. And so if I'm the Bengals, all right, here is all I am going to do. And usually you don't want to do this with Andy Dalton, but I'm actually going to let him throw the ball here. Because look, you've been watching the Steelers this season. Have the Steelers been able to stop anyone through the air? I mean, is there any quarterback they've been able to slow down? I can't remember. 
not Tom Brady, not Russell Wilson. Who they play? Like? Oh, not Jimmy G. No, of course not. Yeah, you're exactly right. So uh, the Steelers right now are one of only four teams giving up more than 300 yards passing per game. That's not good. Not you know good. who's been on a roll so far this season? Andy Dalton. The boys averaging 326 passing yards per game. That right now is third in the NFL. And uh, the thing is, he looks comfortable running Zach Taylor's offense. He's throwing the ball to John Ross. I think most people forgot that John Ross existed after mm-hmm. last season. All of a sudden, he's putting up numbers that make him one of the top receivers in the NFL this year. Obviously, Tyler Boyd's still there. Uh, Auden Tate is coming along. He had a better game last week than he had earlier, and Andy Dalton's getting more comfortable with him. So I think there is potential here for a shootout. Uh, maybe on your end. I'll, I'll, I'll let you t- tell me if the Steelers can put up that kind of uh, points to keep that shootout going. But I do think that uh, the, the Bengals absolutely have the potential to put some points up on the board tonight. So you actually mentioned uh, something interesting I haven't thought about. Zach Taylor and Andy Dalton. I think it's fair to say that the Zach and Andy marriage is going way better than your doppelganger, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers marriage. What do you think about that? No, I don't think that's crazy at all. I mean, obviously, Andy Dalton doesn't have he's a better teammate is that what you're gonna say (laughs) i don't know if he has half the talent that aaron Rodgers does but if we're looking at i think zach taylor is maximizing what andy dalton's good at and that's matt LaFord is not doing that with aaron Rodgers. so i don't think it's a stretch at all to say that they are a better combination right now that doesn't mean zach taylor's a better coach or andy dalton's a better quarterback but it means that if you have a first-year coach coming in uh, he's doing a better job with Andy Dalton than Matt LaFleur is doing with Aaron Rodgers. So you mentioned um, Andy Dalton conceivably throwing all over the Steelers. Mac, I mean, look, anything can happen at this point. I'm not putting anything past what the Steelers have been incapable of doing. But what about Joe Mixon, who was – he led the AFC North in rushing or the AFC – what do you what do you lead in rushing last year? The entire AFC. Entire AFC. Sorry, Joe Mixon. So what about getting him started? I think he was a little banged up last week. Um, he could obviously be a huge part of, of helping the Bengals get their first win. Yeah, and that's the thing is that you look at – when I look at both these teams, I see two teams that could conceivably be 2-1 and one right now. Obviously, the Bengals had that one-point loss to the Seahawks, uh, that loss to the Bills where they're driving down. They're within 25 yards of scoring in the final seconds of the fourth quarter, but Dalton throws an interception that got tipped. If they go down, score there in some weird and world – And it was a safety. Don't forget that. Should have been a safety. Uh, no. But so they win those games. They're two and one. And the Steelers, you know, maybe they beat the Seahawks. In, in another world, they beat the 49ers. Those were both very winnable games. If you don't turn the ball over five times, yeah. maybe you do beat San Francisco. And then we're talking about two, two and one teams here. And so my point there is that you look at what the Bengals have done and it is playing pretty well. And it's despite the fact that they've done nothing, absolutely nothing. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Nothing on the ground. They've rushed for 126 yards so far this year. And fun fact, that is the lowest total through three games in Bengals history. And so they're doing that with a guy who led the AFC in rushing last year. So I don't think Mixon is going to – he's not going to stay bottled up this entire season. I could see him exploding tonight, especially if Andy Dalton gets going and Steelers switch things up to kind of slow down uh, October Andy. And boom, you start giving the ball to Mixon. So I just think the Bengals are going to – I don't know if they're going to win, but they're going to put up a lot of offensive yards tonight. What about the um, the mindset that the Bengals historically have when they come into Heinz Field that they know they're going to lose? Um, Andy Dalton has won there before. 
it was Hushman Zada wasn't there when he Andy Dalton wasn't there when Hushman Zada rubbed his feet with a the um terrible towel, was he? No, I don't think so. I think that's different. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that game obviously they came in there and won. That was in the early two thousands. I know that Andy Dalton's won there in the past, but historically they they do terribly there. Any chance that changes? Well, Ryan, I didn't even want to get to this fact because it always makes me sad. But it's not just playing in Pittsburgh. I mean, this is a primetime game. I am talking about Andy Dalton putting up big yards in primetime. That never happens. Nobody collapses faster in primetime than the Cincinnati Bengals. It's not just playing in Pittsburgh. Since 2013, the Bengals have not won a road primetime game. They are 0-9. So this isn't just like some myth that the Bengals just choke job on the road at all times in primetime. It actually happens. Uh, and to your point, Dalton's played in Pittsburgh uh, eight times, and he's 2-6. and six. And he oh. hasn't won there since 2015. So oh, it's been that long. Okay. It, it hasn't been great. But in the three straight losses, two of those three were by one score. So it's not like the Steelers have been blowing him out. And also Ben Roethlisberger was playing. So it's a whole different thing with Mason Rudolph. So I would ask you, how do you feel about Mason Rudolph and the Steelers' offense going up against uh, – a Bengals defense that's giving up like 700 yards of rushing on the ground per game. There was uh, I, should, the I should point out, TJ, who's, who's your daddy? That was 2005, so seven years before Andy Dalton was drafted. I wasn't even close on that. Mason Rudolph. So two weeks ago I said I was pretty excited about the prospect of just seeing Mason play because he's a young player, former third-round pick, and he did pretty well in the second half of that Seahawks game that you, as you point out, they, they could have won that. Uh, there was that weird sort of pass interference call that sort of turned the game late in the fourth, whatever. Then he comes out in San Francisco, and he looks like you or me playing quarterback for the Steelers with no preparation, and we're only allowed to throw left-handed. So I was a little troubled by that, but I took some solace in a couple things. Number one, that 49ers defense is really, really good. Number two, uh, I'm not sold that uh, Randy Fickner, the offensive coordinator, is doing what is in Mason Rudolph's best interest. Fickner did say this week that – um, Mason Rudolph has to throw the ball down the field. He can't be afraid. He has to let it rip. So we'll see if that changes the defense. And, and since he certainly isn't as good as the one in San Francisco, so we'll see if that sort of opens things up for him. And by the way, Brady Quinn said last Tuesday when Brinson and I talked to him about how do you make life easier for a rookie quarterback? What do you have to do as an OC? He went through point by point how you do this. So check that out on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts, John, and you can figure out how Mason Rudolph is going to beat the, uh, the Bengals on Monday night. But I think here's the deal. Guys have to get open. No one was getting open. And, look, we make fun of Antonio Brown for all the things he's done off the field. That is a huge problem for this team. Juju Smith-Schuster is the number one wide receiver, but he is struggling without someone like Antonio Brown opposite him. James Washington is not getting open. Dante Moncrief, who was supposed to be the number two, didn't even dress last week because he can't catch the football. And it seems like if you're going to hire someone, you might want to see if they can do the job that you want them to do. We'll see if Dante Moncrief plays on Monday. I don't know if it matters. So also not helping, John. James Conner. You talk about uh, Mixon not being able to get going. Conner's been worse. And he had a huge fumble um, in San Francisco that could have cost him that, that did cost him the game. It could have uh, been part of that two-in-one conversation we are having earlier. So, I I mean, this spread at three-and-a-half, the Steelers are, are, are giving the Bengals three-and-a-half, sounds about right. I would not be surprised if Cincinnati won. I, mean, I don't know what they're saying in Cincinnati after the went three start, but I know what they're saying in Pittsburgh. It's that, okay, we're a play away. We have to stay strong. We're going to turn the corner. I, I'm not buying it. And I will say this. I feel like Zach Taylor through three weeks has outcoached Mike Tomlin. 
and you may have heard this, but I went to college with Mike Thomas, so it doesn't make me happy to say that. I have very little faith in this team. I just want to see Mason Rudolph come out, throw the ball down the field, um, maybe throw three touchdowns to Nick Vanette, the guy that this tight end they traded for three days ago. <laughs> that's how that's how bad things are. Um, and I am, I am, I am seriously, I am interested in seeing uh, Mika Fitzpatrick um, play again. He played pretty well in his first game after a few days of practice after they traded for him two weeks ago. He could be a difference maker, something they haven't had in a long time um, in Pittsburgh. So let me put this to you, John, as someone who's been a Bengals fan your entire life. Do you have more faith in the Bengals' defense, if you can be objective about this, or the Steelers' defense, given the the sort of additions of Minka Fitzpatrick in the past few weeks? Ryan, I thought you were going to say, do I have more faith in the Bengals' defense or the Steelers' offense? Because I, I feel like those are the both – Total mysteries. Uh, the Bengals get diced up for 800 yards, but Mason Rudolph and the Steelers might only put up 50 yards of offense. Right, if, yeah, uh, you can answer Randy that Fisher question, No, but I, I mean, I would take the Steelers' defense over the Bengals' defense, absolutely, because you look at what the Bengals have done through three games. They've given up 168 yards per game rushing. And, Ryan, let me tell you how bad that is. There's only two teams that are giving up more than 150, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Miami Dolphins. If your defense is ever lumped in with the Dolphins for any stat, I don't care what the stat is, that's not good. Because the 2019 Dolphins are like the worst team in NFL history. So I don't have any faith at all in the Bengals' defense right now. And I think that's a big reason why I don't necessarily feel comfortable picking the Bengals to win this game is because they could give up 40 points. Yes, I know the Steelers' offense hasn't looked great. It is the Bengals' defense. You just you you don't ever know. But the thing is, the question you just asked, would I take the Bengals and Steelers? The Steelers have given up 442 yards per game, which is the second worst in the NFL, ahead of only the Dolphins, and that's total. So it, that this is just mind blowing. Uh, but I think I would take the Steelers. I think Mickey Fitzpatrick looked really good last week, and that was somebody uh, a trade. That even though I know we knocked it a little bit, because if you're eliminated, why are you giving away a first round pick? Uh, but he absolutely made the Steelers' defense better. I think you would probably agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to player props. We'll start with my guy, Mason Rudolph, over under 238.5 passing yards. What do you got? I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go under. I'm gonna go under because I think they're gonna take the game out of his hands and uh, kind of feature James Conner and Jalen Samuels. I'm going to go over, and that's only wishful thinking on my part because I have no reason to say that other than the fact that he played well in the preseason. He hasn't played well since. He was okay in Seattle, missed some throws, but he's going to hit a couple long balls to James Washington, his college roommate or his college teammate, and uh, early, and that'll get things going. All right, James Conner over under 67 and a half yards. Way over. I think the Steelers should just they should just hand the ball to James Conner until the Bengals stop it. If that means handing the ball off 87 times in this game, then do it. Don't let Mason Rudolph throw a pass if he doesn't need to. The Bengals are giving up 107 yards rushing per game. Just feed Connor, feed Connor, and see what he does. And I wouldn't be surprised if he hits the 100-yard mark. He needs to. He has not played well. Um, I'll go. I'm going to go. He's going to – I'm going to push this. He's going to get exactly 67 and a half yards. That's all. That's, that's crazy, Ryan. I know, right? All right, Juju Smith-Schuster over under five and a half receptions. I can't believe you just copped out of that last pick. It's not even statistically possible. I give half yards when I break down the film the day after. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> serious about my job. Five and a half for Juju Smith-Schuster on catches. I think that Juju goes under. I, I think that, again, wow. try and run the ball and 
if there's one thing the Bengals are trying to do, it's stop Juju and make someone else beat him. And you just mentioned a couple possible long balls with James Washington. I could see that happening. Maybe Mason Rudolph starts to favor someone else. Uh, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say five. Okay. So I'll go under. under. All right. Let's get to the, 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 the best part of this. Andy Dalton over under six, 260 and a half passing yards. Andy Dalton fact. He currently has thrown a touchdown pass in 16 straight games, which is the longest streak in the NFL. We saw our boys Tom Brady and Patrick yeah. Mahomes both put up goose eggs yesterday. So it is Andy Dalton with the longest touchdown pass streak. This question is not about touchdown passes, though. <laughs> I'm going to go over the 260 and a half. I'm going to say that he hits 300. I'm going to go under. And that, again, wishful thinking. Um, we know that if the Steelers harass him early, sometimes he can he can crumble, especially in under the bright lights at night. So hopefully they, they sack him a few times in the first quarter. And that's right for Andy Dalton. And also, at least uh, the last guy here in our play props, Joe Mixon over under 82 and a half rushing and receiving yards. Ooh, over or under 82 and a half combo total yards? Yeah. Man, I think that's over. I think he actually might put up more receiving yards than rushing yards tonight, but I do think he goes over. Yeah, I think that's right. I think he's going to have a breakout game. And one more, Debo just pointed this out to me. Your guy, John Ross. Over under 22 and a half yards as his longest reception. Worth noting, he has a 66 yarder and a 55 yarder this season. All due to Zach Taylor being a fantastic coach. 22 and a half. He's going to catch a pass that long. I'll take the over. Look, they love if they can hit him downfield. We've seen him as, uh, you just pointed out in the stats, but also they love getting on the short little slants or the little screen passes. And if he breaks out in the open, no one's catching him. So I think that 22 yards, if that was like 30 or 40 yards, probably be a little bit more hesitant, but I think he goes over in 22. No, I'm with you. It's sort of crazy that he can, he's had the resurgence or the surgeons. He never had a re before. And Zach Taylor seems to have a big part of that. All right. Let's go. Who you got winning? It's three and a half over unders 45. Ryan, I'm going to tell you a quick story how <laughs> my dad's final year in the NFL, they were playing the Steelers on a Monday night in Pittsburgh. At the time, he had NFL record for most consecutive games scored in at 186. Wow. And that that streak ended in Pittsburgh on a Monday night. It was the only game in his entire career where he didn't score a point. He played from 1979 to 1992. Did he get and shut out? He got, the Bengals got shut out 20 to nothing. I do not think they're going to get shut out tonight. I think the Bengals are going to pull off the upset and win this one 30 to 27. I'm not even mad at you. So 30 to 27, that's actually get, that gets the over as well. That's interesting. All right. I'm going to say the Steelers win 17 to 16. And to honor your dad, Chris Boswell is going to kick a 55 yarder to win it as time expires. <laughs> How does a that 55 yarder at Heinz Field. Are you going to wear, so you wearing a Chris Boswell jersey if, uh, the Steelers lose this yeah, game? Yeah. So that's that the happening? bet that I didn't explain very well. The, the loser. Has to wear their favorite team, so I would wear a Steelers jersey for the next week. You would have to wear a Bengals jersey. Not your dad, so you have to wear – and, you, yeah, so the person has to pick. Like, I pick the jersey you wear, and you pick the jersey I wear. So you could pick, like, uh, I would have to wear Antonio Brown's jersey, for example. Or Chris Boswell, I would actually take great great pride in wearing. But, oh, uh, Antonio Brown would definitely be funnier. And I mean, I have to wear, like, a, a Chad Ochocinco or uh, – Now, who's, like, the, the most sort of – the the – the, the biggest knucklehead, like even not even Pac-Man. Uh, Vontaze Perfect. Yeah, but there you go. You wear Vontaze Perfect. <laughs> I wear Antonio Brown, but you can't clothesline me if we see each other like Vontaze did to AP in that playoff game. That's fair. Weird. I mean, that, that, that seems fair. I don't want to get, I don't want to injure you. You're old. You've, you've dealt with enough injuries in your life. Right. Exactly. 
All right, John, thank you. As always, I'll be talking to you in 12 more hours from now as we recap this game with Brenton and Sean. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll talk to Jason Lock on four, and we'll go around the league, talk about Sunday's action. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, everybody, we are back and joined, as we are joined every Monday, it's Jason Lacamfora. Jason is in Baltimore. Jason, how is it going? It goes well, man. It goes well. Another uh, wild and wacky NFL uh, weekend, and uh, boy, I don't, I don't know. Some of these divisions, I don't know who's any good. You know what I mean? Is anybody any good in the AFC South? Is anybody any good in the AFC North? Uh, stay tuned. Yeah, I feel like Week Four was sort of the craziest week yet. Um, you are doing better than. Uh, your brothers to the south there, the Washington Redskins. You reported on Sunday that Dwayne Haskins' people didn't want him to be thrown out there in what is, let's be honest, a, yep. a, not a great situation in Washington. Desperate he was thrown situation. out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What does this mean? Why Why did they rush him out there? What's going to happen next? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Jay Gruden, I, I don't, he doesn't think he'll make it through the season. Nobody close to him thinks he'll make it through the season. Um, that was kind of an untenable situation uh, just across the board when, you know, uh, you're the left tackles holding out Um, the running back, Darius Geis, who they drafted a year ago, um, well, two drafts ago, you know what I mean? 2018 uh, to kind of run the offense through him. He's never on the field. Um, You've got Bruce Allen picking your players along with an owner and Dan Snyder. Uh, That's a recipe for disaster. Um, the defense, I thought, would be top 10-ish. That's been a complete um, disaster as well. So no quarterback's going to do much of anything in the, under these circumstances. And, and Haskins, given how green he is um, and given how much he still needs to learn about shifting protections and, and, and you know commit, knowing the entire playbook and relaying information and all that, um, it just it seemed like a lot of people to be in that building to be the dumbest thing in the world to even think about playing that kid. Now, Colt McCoy wasn't available, you know what I mean? And the, the Case Keenum thing the last couple of games has been god-awful. So if you're going to try to spark the team and you're like, well, maybe we'll catch lightning in a bottle, maybe there'll be some energy, and the kid's got a huge arm, you know, he was the next man up. Um, I, I think if you gave uh, – you know, Jay Gruden the Mulligan, he'd take it on this one and do things differently had he played, you know, had he had to play that game over again. I, I suspect that they go to Colt McCoy next unless, you know, that's not what the owner and Bruce Allen want. Um, 
but you're, they will break that kid if if they keep throwing him out there without a left tackle, without a left guard. Now the right guard's hurt too. You know what I mean? The the tight end is probably never going to play again because of a concussion. The running back's out indefinitely. They didn't even have McLaren last week. Um, yeah, but after you know, start all that, it was it was a great situation for the Redskins. Yeah, otherwise, sure, why not? Roll the dice, right? Um, oh, and they were already down by like twenty points, and the Giants could just tee off on this kid. So no, I. I but you know that look, that organization and the dysfunction there speaks for itself. So I will make no proclamation about how that goes. Um, but I, I, you know, I've certainly laid out this scenario where a lot of people close to that kid have reached out. You know, to the GM, Doug Williams, and others, and said, hey, we should be smart about this. The, the kid himself obviously wants to play. That's how it works. And a lot of people in that building think it'd be ridiculous to have him go out there as a starting quarterback. But at the end of the day, there's only really two people who are going to matter. It's Bruce and Dan. And if they decide that, you know what, well, Jay's not our guy anyway, and we got Kevin O'Connell there who we really like, and we want it to be his offense anyway, and we think he should start working with the young quarterback now, and we'll just have Bill Callahan as the interim, uh, you know, the interim head coach, and we'll get rid of Jay now. Um, none of that would shock me either. So, JLC, you've been in the D.C. area, the Baltimore area forever. Um, you worked at the Post for a while before you moved on to the national stage. But let me ask you this. So the Dolphins are a truly terrible football team. The Washington Redskins are a truly terrible football team. It feels like at least the Dolphins have a plan. You may disagree with exactly. it. Exactly. They the Redskins know who they have, are. Do the yes. Redskins have any semblance of a plan? No. No. Um, and, but if they play Haskins, I do think the Redskins could give Miami a run for their money for the first overall pick. Even with Washington having better, you know, better talent on defense, um, I, I think if if you literally threw that kid to the wolves for an extended period of time, that they could they they could give Miami a run for their money in scoring differential losses. You know what I mean? Any any negative stat you want to put together, um, because Josh Rosen will move that team a little bit down there in Miami. And actually, the first half of the last two games, Miami has not has has hung in there pretty good. Right. despite a, a, a tremendous talent imbalance. Now, the second half, the, the more you expand the sample size, it, it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, at least Miami has everybody all all in who matters in terms of a decision-making um, group that we're going to really – we're going to get the crap beat out of us this year and next year, but we're going to be all in to, to do this thing together for the long haul. Washington is perpetually fooling themselves, Um and Dan Snyder's never really given into the idea of a total rebuild. Um, but the thing about them is, like, I don't even know, like, who you trade. You know what I mean? The bad contracts they have, they're stuck with. Well, besides Trent, who's holding out. Absolutely. But that's still not going to get them anywhere close to the haul that Oakland and Miami already have. You know what I mean? In terms right. of teams, to your point about who at least have embraced something and and have set themselves up for, for some sort of turning point down the road. Like Washington's not going to be able to accrue nearly the kind of draft capital that that some of these other teams have. Now maybe Miami already has their quarterback. I'm sorry. I mean maybe Washington already has their quarterback. In which case, they're ahead of the curve in that regard. But the offensive line, other than Brandon Sheriff, really needs to be completely rebuilt. I don't know how you count on Darius Geis at this point. You know, I mean, he's had sort of chronic injury woes, and he's barely been in the league. Like, I don't know that you can ever project dependability. Um, you know, Vernon Davis can't play forever at tight end. I mean, they 
their needs are extreme, and it's at every position group on offense. That's a problem. And as much as I like what they've done to their front seven, it's not showing, and the secondary is a joke. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Jay Gruden. Dead but other than that, you know what I mean? Other than that, Ryan, like – Nothing to see. There's a lot of happy people in D.C. these days. Oh, my God. Yeah, it, it's tough to follow some of the, the local D.C. radio guys because they are so apoplectic, apoplectic even by Redskins standards. You mentioned Jay Gruden, Dead Man Walking. So let me – they have their bye in week 10. After this Giants game last Sunday, here's what they have up. The Patriots, the Dolphins, the 49ers, the Vikings, and the Bills. Will Jay Gruden have a job coming out of that week 10 bye? No, I don't think so. Okay. No. I mean, they're not beating the Patriots. San Francisco's much improved. Buffalo's defense will absolutely suffocate them. Um, I, I could honestly see, like, they could lose to Miami. I don't think that's completely out of the realm of possibility. Like, I think that game, if Jay is still there, and that game doesn't go swimmingly, I, I would think that would be the end. Oh, wow. So that could be two weeks. He could get his two weeks notice yesterday, basically. I mean, look, he's, 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 people in there are not naive. Like, they, they understood what they were walking into. Um, they've had frustrations for years about how players are picked and how decisions are made. I mean, about and that major decisions, like trading for Alex Smith and giving him a contract, too. Like, there were a lot of people with high titles in that building who had no idea that that was, like, that was, you know, that was Bruce and Dan. Like, well, eventually that stuff catches up to you, and you reach a situation like you're in now where he's coming in with, you know, paying the quarterback $28 million to, to probably never play again. I mean, you can just go through, you know, going to war with Trent Williams instead of just, you know, trying to, to placate him or just address it back in the, before the draft and go get, you know, go get some, some good picks for him and turn it into players. I mean, it's it's just the perpetually kind of stabbing your own self in the back Um you know, Jay's been there six years. In Redskins coaching years, it's like dog years. Like, Jay is like a, a kind of an elderly guy. Like, he's beaten right. down mentally. I mean, think about it. Six years. I mean, that's forever. He's the first guy under Snyder to get a second contract. I think everybody knows that that thing has run its course. Um, and Jay, he's got a job waiting for him in, in, in Vegas next year on his brother's staff. So that's going to be my next fine. question. So you think? Yeah, and he'll he'll pocket, you know, he'll, he'll basically Dan Snyder will pay him next year to run the Raiders' offense, and then he'll start making three and a half a year or whatever um, John gives him out there. And and yeah, I, I don't even know that he'd want to dive right back into the head coaching rat race after sort of banging your head against the wall in Washington for all these years. Um, it feels you know, like... I, I think he. Oh, go ahead, Jay. No, go ahead. No, no, I was no. no, say, no. It, it feels like unlike. Hugh Jackson, who was a really well known, really respected as offensive coordinator, working with quarterbacks and all that, who tarnished his career as a head coach. Jay Gruden, it seems like people can empathize with his situation and don't consider him a complete and utter failure, just more of a victim of circumstance. Yeah, and I think it's just a different the way Jay comports himself. You know what I mean? And and you know, Hugh was just it was just sort of always all about Hugh. You know what I mean? And I think that wore people out. Jay doesn't really come across that way. Um, yeah, so I, I think he comes – I mean, look, again, he can hang his hat on – I outlasted everybody. I outlasted Joe Gibbs. You know what I mean? Now, Gibbs retired, but let's be real. That pro, I was covering the team. That, that that program wasn't going anywhere, and, and it was time for a change. Whether, you know, Joe Jackson Gibbs walked out the building or, or whether you just had to tell him, like, hey, you need to completely revamp the staff again. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I mean, he's had a, a – a 
incredible run there. The crazy thing is they were six and three. Like I was going to say at yeah. this point, but a couple of weeks past this point, you know what I mean? Like in like late October last year, they were like six and three. They're one and ten cents. And that six and three was kind of a crazy smoke and mirror six and three right. with the defense playing out of its mind, but it still happened. But that seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So speaking a long time ago, 2016 Falcons should have won the Super Bowl. They didn't. The following year, yeah. they went to the playoffs. The last two years, seven nine last year for Dan Quinn, one and three this year, or one and four, uh, one and three. Excuse me. They just lost to the Titans. How much time does Dan Quinn have left? I don't know that he's on quite the you know nuclear hot seat that Jay Gruden's <laughs> on, but he uh, he's running an uphill battle right now. Um, it's not just even that who they've lost to, which in some cases you're like those are games that on a talent level they should win, but it's it's how they're losing them. I mean they're they're done at halftime of these games. Yeah. Like if you re- if you go watch their games and you go look at their yardage, it's garbage time. And the garbage time comes fast there because as presently sort of built, they're not equipped to come back from ten down early to the Titans. And when it got to seventeen at the half, forget about it. I mean they are getting punched in the face at the start of games, and they're, like, staggered. It takes them 30 minutes to get their head straight, and then by that point, it's too late. And I don't know how you don't look at coaching. You know what I mean? Like, you've got to be ready to play. And, and they're just getting out physical by people right off the giddy-up. And when the owner's like, okay, man, you're the defensive guru. Let's not fire any more defensive coordinators. You run it, and this is what it looks like. Um, I think only Miami has a worse first-half scoring differential. Than uh, than Atlanta, they're like minus fifty six or so. No, they're minus fifty one, and Miami's minus fifty six. First half scoring, and the quarterback's dead set on throwing early picks. Um, <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like shocker, Dirk Cutter is not you know is not reinventing the wheel with the Atlanta fact. Like that that whole narrative, like oh well, he was really good with you know Matt early in his career. I'm like yeah, well, yeah because they. You know, Matt wasn't, you know, making eighty million dollars in the first two years of his contract back then. Like it was a different construct, and you know they ran the ball better. And I mean, there was a lot, lot of differences. Like no, now it's all on Matt. Um, Let me the offensive line is still a concern. You know, I mean, they have enough talent to, to be better than they are, but I think they're telling us this is who we are. And you start looking at their look at their schedule from week seven to week fourteen. Like they haven't even got into the meat of their schedule yet. They've got, between week 7 and 14, I think they've got five division games, and that, that, that there are some teams that can play some football in that division, plus I think Seattle and the Rams. Yep. That's I it. think it's over, bro. Well, let me let me float this conspiracy theory by you, um, put, uh, first put forward by uh, our good buddy Will Brinson. So last 12 games against the AFC, just the AFC, Dan Quinn is 1-11 with the Falcons. So Brinson's theory is, and I'm sure he stole this from somewhere, is that Dan Quinn cannot coach against teams that he doesn't see regularly. That seems insane to me for an NFL coach. Are you buying anything about Dan Quinn struggling to, to game plan against teams he's not familiar with? No. I mean, dude, Mar- Marcus Mariota looked like a high-functioning quarterback against his defense yesterday. Like, I, I just think they're just not a very – they just don't play good football. I, I – I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't buy the other narrative that it was just injuries last year. I, I didn't. I, I'm yeah, sorry. See, like I all the, the guys that. who got hurt, you know what I mean? People were talking about the guys who got hurt. Like, you know what I mean? It was like Bruce Smith and, you know, Reggie White and, <laughs> you know, Deion Sanders in their prime. I'm like, really? Really? Okay. That's, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it, well, look, I thought Keanu Neal and Deion Jones were important, but clearly, like you said, they're not the one throwing interceptions. They're not the one getting out coached. Um, Keanu Neal's hurt now, but that ain't the reason they're yeah. all games. No, I mean, I, I just think there's been something a little off in their DNA for a while. And, and, and you know, they that Super Bowl thing, you know, probably led to a, a little bit of a hangover the following year. But, I mean, they're under 500 since the Super Bowl. Like, I think yeah. they're now two or three games collectively under 500 since the Super Bowl. And that Super Bowl's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, again, I think they're telling us this is who they are. Like, they're, they're not – this group is not getting over, you know, the summit as presently constructed. Um, All right. So. I, I would have to think that they would go super offensive-minded head coach there. Like, you've got – you know what I mean? Like, if, if Matt Ryan is who you're paying him to be – then you got to find the guy to bring that out in him, and most likely you got to hire him as a coach to get him. You know that, that I would think the pendulum swings that way. You know, but look, I mean, even like Thomas Dimitrov's been there a long time. They had all the weird stuff with Pioli going on there for a while, and some of those crazy press releases where remember, like two years ago, it looked like Pioli had the more important job, and then yeah. they corrected their own press release. Like I, I just wonder if it's if it's not a total reboot there. And the other thing is that there's such apathy there already. Like, the fans aren't buying what they're selling. There's nobody in those seats. And it's only going to get worse this year because it's like, like just like last year, people were like, the season's over the end of September. And that can't make Arthur Blank happy. So, does Arthur you know, Blank I, own, I don't know that he – Does he well, own sorry? Atlanta United? Yes. He gets way more people there for those games. Say, they're than, filling the seats, so he's got that going for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, let me, let me ask you this. He does. So, so one more – while we mention Brinson, though, real quick, one more thing. This guy has been trying to get Freddie Kitchens, I swear to you, every Monday since week one. Desjardins can attest to this. He's been trying to get Kenny, Freddie Kitchens fired, like, since, like, the season started. And it's just, I find it a little unusual that he's not available on the first Monday after Freddie Kitchens' offense looks highly functioning and the Cleveland Browns are now in first place in the AFC North. I'm just, I'm just throwing it, conspiracy theories, I'm just throwing one out there. I think Brinson might be ducking me. Oh, you, you, you're going to love this. He's actually playing golf. That's what he's doing. I had to get up early. So he is ducking me. He is ducking you and playing golf for quote-unquote charity, which means he's raising money for his next two-pay transplant. Um, let me right. ask you about another team and whether they are who we think they are. The Detroit Lions, I think last year I thought Matt Patricia was a clown. This year he has proved me wrong. Are you buying what the Lions have done so far? I am. I, I look at that whole division and I'm like, why? why like, why couldn't it? Like who? Who? They've got right now. They got the best quarterback in the division. You're looking for a hot take. I'll give you one. I'm not saying that he'll be better than you know Aaron every week, or that he is the better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. No, he's not. But with what he's working with versus what Aaron's working with, and what the Lions' offense overall looks like versus Green Bay's, Stafford's doing a hell of a job. I mean, I think it's nine touchdowns and, and two interceptions. The interceptions were pretty early in the year. Him playing like he did with that hip yesterday and, and, and running the ball at times, um, I'm, I'm buying it. Like, they all play defense in that division, and Detroit's defense is really good. And they beat the crap out of Pat Mahomes yesterday without Mike Daniels up front. I mean, they suffocated Mahomes in the red zone. They, they played him as well as I've seen, and they had him running for his life. Um, and it took a bizarre 100-yard fumble. I mean, there was a couple of officiating decisions and then that a really bizarre fumble. 
and saying all that, the Lions still had the lead with like 20 seconds left before Mahomes capped that that final drive. I, I'm buying it. I am. Um, until I see that this Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur thing is, is a beautiful budding rose, I'm not a full-blown skeptic, but I, if there is something in Matt LaFleur's resume that portends offensive greatness, I, I am very open to seeing it. Show it to me. Just um, find it, and I will I, – you know what I mean? And, and Green Bay's turnover ratio I don't think is sustainable, and that's been a big part of why they are where they are. Kirk Cousins forgot how to throw the football entirely. I mean, Minnesota, uh, I truly think Mike Zimmer would just take a, you know, run the ball or take a knee on offense every play just to get his defense back on the field. <laughs> and Chicago, uh, it, the offense looked better with Chase Daniel than Mitch Trubisky, but I don't think that's sustainable. And Trubisky will be back at some point. So why why not? The, like, why is it crazy that the Lions will be in that division till the end and could win it? Do you I don't think be- that's crazy. Do you have any sense on when Trubisky might be back? Uh, not, uh, not just yet, although I don't think it's going to be um, a, a, a super long-term injury. I mean, I don't see any way he's playing this week, and then they've got the bye. Um, you know, could he come back shortly after the bye? We'll, we'll see what the rest of these medical results say. But based on sort of what I was picking up last night, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's it's – it's going to be a, you know, an eight week injury or a six week, six week injury or anything like that. So, and this is the case I've been making since basically week one. If Chase Daniel, we know that Matt Nagy loves him. He came over, came over with Nagy from the Chiefs. He understands the offense. He is what he is. He ain't great, but he can run the offense probably more consistently than Trubisky. We sort of saw that yesterday. Yeah. Is there any sort of Second thoughts, any thoughts in the back of Nagy's mind if Daniel is doing a decent job for three weeks, let's say, that he might stick with Daniel? I don't know that it'll get to that point. If it does, it'll be interesting. Um, I don't rule much out in this league. I, I don't. Um, and I even I wrote a column a couple of weeks back about the year of the backup and you know, sort of projected where I could see some other changes happening. And Chicago was one of the – one of the wild cards because of just what you said. Um, it's just, you're not going to get the, you don't get the extremes that you get with Trubisky. Right. You know, you're, you're never going to hit some of those high notes or even try to hit those high notes, but you're, you know what I mean? You're, you're running a lot more C plus and B minus plays than you're running, you know, D plus and F plays. Right. I don't know, man. I, I'll be interested to see how it plays out. Um, you know, they, they did, Oh, Daniel played a couple of games last year. I feel like he looked better in the first one than the second one. Um, he is limited, but man, with what they can do defensively, right? Exactly. I don't know. My suspicion is that Trubisky's back relatively quickly after the bye, and then you know what I mean. And then we, we get we get a look at him again. Um, okay, let me. All this all this does go into their eventual equation, though of. Do they pay this kid or don't they? Mm. And if they do, Godspeed. Mm. Yep, Patrick Mahomes, Sean Watson. That's who Ryan Pace passed on. Uh, let's turn to this because this is like Groundhog Day for people who have followed Vontez Perfect's career, even not even closely. Ugh. He tried to murder Jack Doyle. He was immediately ejected. So I want you to talk about that, but I want you also want you to talk about the hit by um, Patriots DB Jonathan Jones who also tried to decapitate Josh Allen up in Buffalo. He was flagged but not ejected. 
Uh, Al Riveron gave a mealy-mouthed explanation that you know a lot of people weren't buying. What's your take on the perfect hit and, and that compared to what Jones did to Josh Allen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the, buff, the the play in Buffalo was a little more bang bang. I did feel like the, the Patriot defender tr- tried to do something other than a kill shot. Um, and and look with, with perfect. You run out of second chances. I mean, he 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 has an established um, record of behavior that is so egregious. It reminds me of Brandon Merriweather. Like I, after a while, you, like literally, I get like a visceral reaction to watching that guy play football. Where it just like you see it so many times and so many cheap shots and so many headshots, and you're like, just get him out of the game. Like right. it almost makes you taste your own bile. It's it's just it's. I mean, I don't know who, why, why would any coach want him around? Like, I get it. Paul Gunther's known him forever in his whole journey. He was with him in Cincinnati and all that, the the Raiders D coordinator. But, like, why would you want to be associated with that guy? Well, he was in and, Oakland to keep AB from trying to punch uh, Mayock. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I, I don't know. A lot of people don't want to admit mistakes in this league, so they perpetuate um, negativity by, by continuing to give people like this a forum. But I expect the league to discipline him sternly. Um, I just wish I, mean, I just wish the market would speak, you know what I mean, instead right. of the league office. And these coaches who are always talking about, you know, doing the right thing and, you know what I mean, like being a family and, and you know, all, all, the, all the, the buzzwords you hear. Well, this, this guy's behavior runs counter to – I mean, it's just – it's. Uh, these aren't isolated incidents. This is how this guy approaches his job every single week. And you are giving him an opportunity to maim somebody else by keeping them employed and sending them out there. Right. No, that's exactly right. All right. I'll get you out on this JLC. So you wrote um, on Sunday that uh, Jalen Ramsey, some teams or there were teams uh, that offered two first round picks. The Jaguars. One team did, yeah. Oh, one team. Sorry, offered a, a couple first-round picks. The, it sounded like the Jags weren't interested because they could be potentially low first-round picks. What's the Jaguars' plan? Do they think that Jalen's going to help them? He seems disinterested. I mean, we know he had backslash uh, family issues this week. He didn't play. Is he going to play moving forward? Or are they going to tr- try to move on from him? And the first team that comes to mind after yesterday's games, the Ravens, who I think you mentioned before, could certainly use someone like Jalen Ramsey, uh, especially after what happened to them yesterday. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're this is not going away. Um, you know, they they've tried to tell teams, oh no, we really don't want to trade them. You know, after engaging in trade talks for four or five days, um, but teams are going to keep calling, and he's going to be a problem, and he's not going to necessarily tone it down. He's going to keep pushing the envelope because he sees no future for himself in Jacksonville. He has no intentions of signing any extensions there. Um, he doesn't think his career is going anywhere there. He doesn't trust Tom Coughlin. He's never really clicked with Doug Marone. And once you tell a player like that that you'll at least consider a trade, chances are you're going to end up trading him. Because you know now he's thinking that the escape is near and that that other payday is out there. And and let's be real, like if you're Jalen Ramsey. He's a really good player. I don't know if he's quite as as good as he thinks he is, but the bottom line is he thinks he's really good, and he thinks he has a chance to become more of a national figure 
and more of, uh, you know, uh, he's looking at his earning potential on the field and off the field and just sort of where he wants to play football and where he wants to feel important and be big. Like, it's hard to be big in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, you know what I mean? Who's the last Jacksonville Jaguar player really at a national profile? You know what I mean? I mean, you could talk about Jimmy Smith and Brunel and some of those guys, you know, Fred Taylor, but I always thought they were better than they were given credit for, but people kind of downplayed it because it was Jacksonville. Right. You know what I mean? If you're talking about the difference between being a, you know, a Philadelphia Eagle or, you know, winning a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs or, you know, going somewhere where it's it's a it's it's a bigger city, it's a bigger profile, and 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 letting you know, and and then being this, you know, big man on campus there, it's it's just different. Um, and I'll just go back to it. He does not see a future for himself there, which means he he he's going to be willing to do a lot to get out of there. And, and the idea of well, we'll just keep setting a price that nobody will match. I mean, I. I I don't think that that uh, we've heard the last of you know him not being around or you know there's he this is going to be a thing between now and the deadline and GMs I talked to last week who've been in similar situations are like at some point it's just it's going to be more trouble than it's worth you know if you're losing it's like okay let's just you know maybe we're not who we thought we were and we could get a ton for this guy and move forward, and he's never going to sign an extension here anyway. And if you're winning while he's being deactivated, you know what I mean, or whatever that was Sunday, it's like, well, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Why do we need this malcontent around? Yeah. We're doing okay without him. Now, I don't know how they're going, to do, they're going to do all that okay without him in the long haul. But, I, I, again, I don't see them ever being able to resolve this to the point where he would want to extend his services there. In which case, you're talking about future holdouts, and and you know sometimes the situation is just broken, and in his mind, it's broken. So it doesn't matter that oh well, Shot Khan might want to offer me a whole lot of money after the end of the season. He doesn't necessarily want Shot Khan's money. Right. No, that's right. Well, JLC, it was great to talk to you. I mean, I'm glad that uh, Brinson decided to. Yeah, it's always good to up. catch up. And uh, yeah, we can bail out Brinson, and yeah, we'll see. I'm sure he'll be back to talk to me the next time the Browns offense doesn't look so hot. Yeah, he'll be uh, front and center. And uh, quickly, if, uh, before we go, if you love the podcast, Big Six Podcast, please download, subscribe, even give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And we'll be back tomorrow. Brinson will be here, new hair doing all, to recap the uh, Monday Night Football action where either the Steelers or the Bengals will no longer be there. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.